One, two. Hi, I'm Ramnik Johal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. Carol, how are you feeling today? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling healthy, actually. All right, uh, Romnik, what in the fork are we talking about today? What has grinded our gears? What's up? Okay, so the reason I ask how you're doing is because if you were not doing well, you would be able to take a day off work. But that is not the case for very many Canadians. Uh, I mean, they could take a day off, they just won't get paid for it. And in the middle of a panoramic, when we are encouraging people to stay home if they're not feeling well, it's frustrating that so many people don't have that option. So we're going to talk a little bit about paid sick leave in Canada, what the situation is, and who is impacted by that. So can I take the day off today? Uh, Well, trick question. I asked you at the beginning how you were feeling and you said good. So that's your own fault for answering that honestly. Okay. But when people ask you how you are, like you're not actually going to be like, hey, this is X, Y. No, that's just for for politeness, for courtesy. Okay. So so we're going to look over, like we're going to look at an overview of, of all the provinces that have paid sick leave or not. Is that correct? Indeed we are. Okay. Um, why don't we start off with my home province, the land my immigrant parents chose. Um, so Ontario uh, has been, I would argue, quite at the center of discussion about paid sick leave because Doug Ford's government has been quite sketchy, I would say, about um, implementing this program. This this conversation about paid sick leave, implementing it has been, uh, it's not new, it's been around for quite a, a long time, uh, but because of, as Romnik Johal says, panoramic, but as I say, Papa John's, um, it's been elevated. And the urgency in in having this uh, policy in place has become very front and center. And so since the beginning of the year, Ford's government voted more than 20 times against paid sick leave. 20 times, people. And finally, after months and months of pressure and, and criticisms from the public, he granted Three days of paid sick leave. Yes, that's that's a win in, in some ways, but a lot of science advisors in Ontario said that, you know, three days is not enough, um, especially when it comes to curving the, uh, the the increased cases of of COVID. They were like, we need more. But Ford was like, you know what? I gave you what you asked for, kind of. And so let it just be what it is. I will add that Ford uh, took 10 days of paid sick leave while he was in isolation because he had been exposed to COVID earlier this year. So the man uh, rejected for a long time paid sick leave. And yet he himself took what experts have been calling for um, as a standard time period of 10 days. So the hypocrisy, we love to see it. We hate to see it. Um, And so BC actually falls in line with Ontario in that uh, in May, they announced a temporary legislation of paid sick leave, but only three days as well for employees who have tested positive for COVID-19. And that's going to last until December 31st, 2021. Um, So according to the government, in the new year, a new permanent paid sick leave program will be taking 
uh, into effect, um, but they haven't specified the number of days. And okay, here's the thing. I am so in agreement with what scientists in Ontario have to say, because first of all, as somebody who had COVID, three days is not enough for you to make a full recovery, like unless you're lucky and have um, no symptoms. But even then you're you have to be in isolation for uh, the full two two weeks. So um, three days is absolutely not enough. And again, like I'm thinking about the fact that so many people don't have um, jobs where they already have paid sick days or where their employers mandate that. And so I think it's just it's mind boggling that it's again, COVID is is a disease that we've all clearly seen is extremely infectious. Um, but being like, oh, take three days and then figure it out for the rest of the week. It's like these people have to be stuck at home. So that's that's obviously not enough. And then Manitoba, which we'll talk about what's happening in Manitoba in just a minute here. But in May as well, uh, Manitoba also announced a temporary COVID measure of five days of paid sick leave that don't have to be taken consecutively. Um, so people can take the time off for COVID testing, vaccination appointments, side effects, self-isolation, or caring for uh, a loved one, which again is sounds great until you actually take a look at what's happening in Manitoba. What's happening in Manitoba right now, Carol? So Manitoba's hospital situation is um, quite overwhelmed. Um, and we mentioned this in yesterday's What the Fork, but essentially there's an average of 35 new cases a day per 100,000 population just in the past two weeks. And if we want to kind of zoom that out and compare it to Canada as a whole, the nation has been averaging 10 a day per 100,000. So Manitoba has been really um, been struggling um, and it's gotten to the point where they've had to send patients to Ontario because their ICUs are just over capacity. As a result of this, there was a news release um, from a few days ago from doctors calling for the province to introduce a mandatory paid sick leave. And that's not just voluntary. And it's it's quite appalling uh, because Indigenous people and other non-white people um, account for 61% of these cases when overall they only make up 37%. Yeah, things in, in Manitoba are honestly looking really, really stark. And like you said, 18 patients have been flown to Ontario, some to Ottawa. Um, and the New York Times reported that uh, Saskatchewan will also be receiving um, evacuated patients from Manitoba on Wednesday. So things are not looking good in, in Manitoba's healthcare system. But again, when we look at the fact that five days of paid sick leave are given, like that is a win. We're not saying that's not. But um, again, for people who are in precarious positions, it's not it's not enough. Um, so we're just going to finish going through some of the provinces and then we're going to talk about why this matters. And I think Carol kind of touched on that a little bit there is, is that there are people who are being disproportionately impacted by COVID. And then as a result, they're being disproportionately impacted by having to miss work. And for so many people, that's simply not an option. Like for some people, not going to work, not getting a paycheck is quite literally like the, the difference between putting food on their table and not. And so this is where it's like, so many people and again and so many politicians in my opinion need to check their privilege because it's like okay Doug Ford you got 10 days of paid sick leave but it's like I think you you were gonna be able to like 
you know, make put dinner on your table if you didn't have those paid 10 sick days, right? Like you're the premier of a province. But the low income workers in your province that are uh, that are getting sick and that are having to stay home, they don't have that option. And so it's like people need to really like take off their blinders and like look at what's happening on the ground and who's getting sick and how this is impacting people's entire lives. And um, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, But Nova Scotia also introduced four days of paid sick leave for people who tested positive for COVID. Again, I have a beef with that because technically, (laughs) technically, um, the the way that the tests work, um, personal experience here, um, they produce false negatives sometimes. So when I got tested for COVID, um, I had symptoms. Um, I had symptoms and I was sick, um, but the test at first produced uh, false negatives. And so the fact that it has to be a positive test and you have to show your employer a positive test for COVID Again, people could be sick with something else. People could be sick with COVID, but either way, the person is sick and they need time off. Like, regardless, it doesn't matter if it's COVID or not. So that's something to definitely take in in mind. So Alberta, I know Alberta gets a lot of bad rep here, but I think it's warranted, especially in this conversation about uh, paid sick leave. So um, again, there was um, an announcement in late April where, you know, the Kennedy's government was like, fine, we'll give you the paid sick leave that you've been wanting. Um, and they have in total, and this is not a typo, and we have fact-checked this many times to ensure that we are correct, three hours of paid sick leave within the context of COVID. So to get vaccinated, that's pretty much the, the extent of it, really. And um, the Alberta legislature has been on hiatus for about three weeks now. Um, they are have just reopened. And uh, as they have reopened, the uh, NDP has now promising to, again, push for paid sick leave. That's more than three hours. That's the standard 10 days of paid sick leave that experts are saying is needed. And I just want to add an interesting um, detail that I just thought was quite appalling in the Calgary Herald. Kenny had called a longer term paid sick leave a, quote, job killing policy that would force further layoffs and put additional costs on business owners. I mean, it's, it's kind of appalling, but it's also kind of funny because a job killing policy? Like, are you serious, dude? Like, Three hours is pathetic, okay? Even if it's with just in terms of like vaccinations, like people have been experiencing some some symptoms and side effects. Three hours is not enough. Job killing, like really? Like paid sick leave is is meant to save lives, okay? Like why are you so pro-business? It's so annoying. God, I hate it. Oh God, you, you tell him, sis. So that's what's been happening in uh, in Alberta. And, um, and uh, what about the territories, Romnique? So from what I found from doing a little bit of digging. Um, Sick leave in the Northwest Territories, uh, there's five days of uh, sick leave that employees are entitled to, but it's without pay in a 12-month period. So that's that's mandated um, and required. Um, And then in the Yukon, um, there's also people are entitled to 14 days of unpaid leave during COVID. um, And then employers can apply to Uh, for a rebate from the government to compensate their employers for missed time off work. So 
total of 10 days of wages per employee to allow for sick leave. And that's all to say that all of these um, updates, provincial updates that we've provided, they're all temporary. They're temporary programs in the context of COVID. There are only two provinces in the nation with permanent paid sick leave that predates COVID. And they are Quebec um, and PEI. For the paid sick days in Quebec, after three months of continuous service with an employer, um, you get two days within a calendar year. In PEI, if you have more than five years of continuous service with an employer, you get one paid sick day in a calendar year. So that's kind of sad that those are the only permanent paid sick leave programs. But yeah, that's 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 the situation we've got in our hands. And um, it's no wonder everyone's suffering. So that's cool. Yeah. And like we said before, you know, without paid sick leave, people are going into work because they can't afford it. And that's especially racialized migrant, low income, essential workers, people without job security. And like having these requirements where people have to work for a certain amount of of time. It's like some people can't control when they get sick. It's not anybody's fault that they get sick. And so when you're sick, you need to take time off to get better and, and tend to yourself. And, and having to go into work is is just mind boggling to me. Um, but according to a Peel Public Health study in Ontario, um, 25% of workers kept working despite feeling sick, which is approximately 7,800 people with symptoms of COVID uh, between August and January of, for August of last year and January of this year. And that's a pretty jarring number. And I'm going to just add to that statistic. A uh, there was a report done uh, last year in August from the Ontario-based Decent Work and Health Network. And they found that 58% of workers in Canada do not have paid sick days. And most of them come from low-wage jobs, and they're disproportionately women, Black, Indigenous, and other racialized people. And about half of workers make over 50K um, who don't have paid sick leave, but that jumps to over 70% of workers um, making 25K a year. So the most vulnerable and marginalized communities are being targeted through the lack of paid sick leave in this country. And for some reason, the most privileged are making the policies and deciding whether or not there even should be a paid sick leave. The irony here. To add on to that, Canada falls behind uh, in the global context when it comes to providing paid sick leave for employees, uh, ranking in the bottom quarter of, of countries that, that do this. And like you mentioned, 74% of those without paid sick leave earn less than $25,000 a year. And so people who have jobs that have benefits or that have the ability to work from home aren't the people that are the most impacted. Again, paid sick leave benefits everybody. Um, it, it does benefit everybody and it's a good policy to have just in general. But for so many people, it's like, with something like this, it's such a, it's not something that you want to take a gamble on. And we we saw earlier in the pandemic how workplaces were, were really key areas of transmission. And so Amazon had to postpone Prime Day in Canada due to massive outbreaks in warehouses in the Peel region. Uh, so a lot of these industrial workplaces were where workers were getting sick, where outbreaks were happening. And 
then we were wondering, why is there such high transmission? Well, if somebody doesn't have the option to stay home, then sickness is going to spread amongst those workplaces that are likely um, not able to observe social distancing or uh, not able to, you know, follow some of these public health measures as closely because of the nature of the work that's being done. But Ramnik, it's a job killing policy. How does it how does it benefit um, companies, as you as you said earlier? I mean, explain it to me, because according to Kenny, it doesn't serve the companies at all. Kenny needs to just go to the stampede and stop talking. <laughs> it's the peed, as we've learned. Whatever. Um, but it does also protect companies because, you know, it. at the end of the day, if you're supporting that one single worker who is sick, then you're preventing a larger outbreak to staff and customers and other workers um, and allows people to recover faster and stops that transmission before it even happens. And realistically, it stops people from potentially dying. Like we know that this virus is it does not discriminate and people can get sick and die. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. And so you're potentially saving lives by offering this to people. And so the people that don't have that as an option are the ones who have to take on and assume the risk of you know, deciding whether they're going to go to work or not. The CRSB, the Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit, um, earlier this year until September 25th, it started last fall, provides workers with $450 uh, for a one-week period. Um, and workers must reapply if their sickness lasts longer for a maximum of two weeks of benefit. But it, first of all, workers are the ones who have to be responsible for applying to that. And again, there's, there's barriers for people who maybe one, don't know that that's a thing or don't know how to apply or maybe have language barriers. And it's also not a lot of money. Uh, it's not a lot of money. And some, some people will say, well, I would just make more by going into work and I need to pay my bills. So I can't uh, I can't do this. Right. And that's part of the reason why uh, there's been a lot of pressure on provinces to take the initiative and actually implement more paid sick leave um, that's not just federally mandated. And I think also a keynote here is paid sick leave programs, whether they're temporary or permanent, they are important, of course, but because we live in a very like capitalistic society, not to sound super elitist, but even if these policies are mandated, it's also important to ensure like, I don't know who would be the ones keeping companies and, and corporations accountable. But we have to make sure that the lifestyle around working changes because just because there's mandated paid sick leave doesn't mean that, you know, your employer is necessarily going to be down with it. So I think there also needs to be conversations about how do we ensure that workplace environment creates a positive space for p- employees to take these paid sick leaves. Because I mean, I, I for sure have felt guilty in the past when I had jobs that had paid sick leave. It was there for me to use. But I mean, I always felt like I was um, doing a disservice to the company just because of the way that my employers previously had been talking about paid sick leave. So I think that's also something that we should also uh, take into account in this conversation. Yeah, I remember I had a brief stint working in the service industry, uh, restaurant industry, Um, And the way that taking sick leave or taking a day off in that scenario is is treated or talked about or thought about. It's like no way you can take a day off like the the system will fall apart. 
but it's like it's literally blasphemy and it's yeah (laughs) and it's like first of all that's a food service industry like you're serving people food so if you've created a culture where it's making employees feel uncomfortable or feeling like I might be fired if I get sick and have to take a day off then people are going to just come in to work and suck it up but then that's why more staff are going to get sick and get impacted as a result. And so, yeah, it does it does require a big culture shift, but it also requires us to look at, um, yeah, how we treat our employees and how we treat each other and why it is low income workers uh, and people in precarious positions who feel like they have to assume assume the risk. And this segues very beautifully into what's happening on the pod tomorrow. So tomorrow we are talking to the Thais Chris Chung about why communities become COVID hotspots. And our conversation will kind of highlight why paid sick leave is so important because it is the racialized lower income workers who are disproportionately impacted, can't afford to miss work. And again, without adequate paid sick leave, people, primarily people who aren't in privileged positions to begin with, have to make that individual choice. And like we highlighted throughout this episode, it's quite literally sometimes a decision between um, your health and wellness and also life and, and death when it is something as serious as COVID. So we will talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Carol, do you have any final last words today? No. Um, you know, I, I I think my only hope is that uh, moving forward, I hope provinces implement permanent paid sick leave programs and we can have a cultural shift in actually not feeling guilty um, taking these paid sick days. So that's all. But we probably won't see that for a while. So a girl can dream. Let's not end on a negative note. Let's end on a positive note. Okay. What's a positive note? Okay. Hopeful. Sir, I'm hopeful for such changes to come. Or I'm cautiously optimistic because that's just my my vibe is like hoping for the best. Okay. Prepared because governments are very not good at doing their jobs. Sure. I mean, you know what? We have paid sick days and I am so grateful for our job and our healthy work environment because it's, you know, it helps. Welcome to What the Fork or WTF. Um, On today's What the Fork. So my first What the Fork Uh, is more of an update on what's been happening in Fairy Creek uh, with the old growth logging protests. So according to Global News, arrests have surpassed 100, which is quite astonishing because I feel like, you know, a few, what, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, we were saying that there were seven arrests made. But now there are at least five blockades um, for this protest. And as of Tuesday, actually, there was a group of seniors who marched on the logging roads in Fairy Creek. And when the RCMP who were um, there, they saw this group of people, uh, seniors coming, they got their tape out and they uh, kind of created an exclusion zone. Um, And so the group of seniors overwhelmed the RCMP and the RCMP was like, nope, and they left. So that's a kind of funny little thing that happened. (laughs) I'm very Um, pro senior. So this is great great news. Um, Also, for those of you who haven't listened to our Fairy Creek episode featuring Capital Daily's Jackie Lamport, we would very much encourage you to go to Spotify and Apple. You're actually on Spotify or Apple if you're listening to this. So go and listen to that episode. Uh, So you know what 
the fork we're talking about. Moving on to Miss Bird Lady from Central Park. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, Amy Cooper was a is a white woman who called the police on a black birder in Central Park last year. So the man named Christian Cooper was in Central Park and he asked Amy to put her dog on a leash because he was uh, looking at birds in Central Park. It's a passion of his. And he said it's not good for the birds. Um, I don't know anything about birds, so I'm going to take his word for it. And she called the cops on Christian Cooper they have the same last name. They're not related. Um, and she said, I'm going to tell the police that an African-American man is threatening me. He was not threatening her. He was not being aggressive towards her. Um, and now flash forward to present day. Miss Amy is suing her former employer who fired her after the incident took place. Um, she's claiming she she as a white woman was the victim of racial discrimination. So in her lawsuit, uh, she was worked at an investment firm. They terminated her after the incident, after the video went viral. And clearly she was in the wrong. Um, she she says that they terminated her because she is a white woman on the basis of her race and gender. And they didn't adequately investigate the situation as a result of that. Um, so she said, this is discrimination. Now, first of all, lady, first of all, lady, you were doing the discriminating. Okay. And you rightfully were fired as a result of you weaponizing your whiteness in order to get what you wanted. You're so used to not being oppressed that a man telling you to put your dog on a leash in a park where leashes are required felt like you were being personally attacked. And so you wanted to be oppressed so bad that you turn into weaponizing your whiteness in a way that could have very well gotten this man killed for literally just trying to look at birds. And she knew that. She knew that, which is why she said in the video, I'm going to tell them an African-American man is threatening me. That is quite literally in America an execution in many cases. And it has been in many cases where calling the police on black men and black people in general sometimes leads to their death. So Amy Cooper, I have absolutely no empathy or sympathy for you getting fired from your job. And if you're going to say that you got terminated because you're a white woman, no, you got terminated because you weaponized the fact that you're a white woman. And if it wasn't for this being caught on tape, girl, you continue doing it. And clearly you filing this lawsuit is you still trying to get people to feel bad for you uh, when in reality you are the aggressor in the situation. And uh, it's a no for me. It's an absolute no from me. And you're going to need to sit down because this is just it's just unacceptable and gross. And stop trying to be oppressed because you suck. And, and you know what they say? Um, white women's tears are the most dangerous um, when it comes to the safety of racialized people. So cool. And it's kind of funny that this this um, lawsuit and I say funny. It, it's, I'm not actually saying it's funny. It's it's quite um well, no, it's it's ironic that this is happening because next week um, from May 31st to June 5th is Black Birders Week. It's a week long um, time that, that highlights um, black nature enthusiasts and it increases the visibility of black birders who 
face unique challenges and dangers when they are in the outdoors. So it's not a not a not a good look for Amy. And I Cooper. just want to say, I just want to add, Christian Cooper is so cool. Like first of all, so cool. But I do want to add that one thing that came out after this incident happened is people were talking about, oh my God, he's so uh wonderful and educated and first of all I think birding is so cool that's dope um but people were talking about how he was kind of like this uh the perfect victim in a way that kind of idea where somebody has to be a certain status or stature in order for us to feel bad for them and empathize with them and I just want to say even if this was just any racialized person trying to walk through the park doesn't matter if they have degrees or have cool hobbies she was still in the wrong and she will continue to be in the wrong. Um, so Christian Cooper's the man, but also Amy Cooper, you still suck. Moral of the story. Anyways, what's the last WTF, Carol? Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So the last WTF for today's episode is the Friends Reunion, which uh, is out today, actually. And for, you know, Canadians, it's it's available on Crave. I know. Friends the show, the sitcom, it has not aged well at all, ever. But I am excited about this because, you know, despite the sh- the shortcomings, the racism, the homophobia, the transphobia that was part of ev- pretty much every single season of Friends, I just have a lot of love for this show. It was part of my childhood. It kept me entertained while my immigrant parents were working um, it was the thread, the common thread between a lot of my friends growing up. And this reunion means a lot to me because I feel like despite the fact that the show, the sitcom ended kind of in a pretty um, cathartic way, it's unscripted. It's kind of like a reality show. Um, Smelly Cat makes an appearance. The song, James Corden gets to interviews the cast. They have a script reading and it's just like really heartwarming. And I did cry seeing how they have all aged, but they were all able to come together and and reminisce and talk about the show and what it meant to them and and how um, during the show they had their own issues that they had to deal with. It was just, it's just so heartwarming and it's just so nice. And I think it's kind of what I wanted and I needed um, to say goodbye to a part of my youth. Is that sentimental? Too sentimental for a show? I don't know, but I'm excited. You should watch it. It's on It's Christ. pretty sentimental, but I support you. I like when Huge gets emotional. On that note, thanks so much for listening to today's episode and we'll catch you next time. Well, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. This episode was produced by Ramnik Johal, Carol Eugene Park, and Brayla Kwan. Decomplicated is a product of Overstory Media Group. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Decomplicated. 